S'il vous plaît, en ha ha baguette. Welcome to another round of the book reviews. Today I have the book for you, Teris, Teris, Rakin, by Emile or Emile Zola. My French is absolutely terrible, so please forgive the pronunciation. The book was published in 1868 in an actual book format and was originally published a year earlier in a magazine or serial format. It is a very, very simple plot with four main characters. There is Teris Rakin, there's her cousin Camille, Camille's mother, Madame Rakin, and then the Laurent, uh, Laurent the Peasant. The book basically revolves around these four characters. A couple others are introduced, but they only serve to progress the plot along and there's no real look at them as an actual character and delving into their, um, their, their personalities and their consciousness and things like that. It's a story uh, set in 19th century Paris of passion, betrayal, deception, and ultimately accountability. I'm going to spoil the plot here a little bit and just say... Uh, Camille and um, Camille is a very, very sick, sick, weak boy, and basically Therese is not forced to, but she she basically has to marry him just just to be able to live. They um, are married together, but she is not very happy with it, and she meet she meets Laurent at some point, who is an idle, lazy peasant who. Um, she basically falls in love with. They start an affair, and they determine to to murder Camille by drowning, and then live out their lives after that. And the book, I, sh- I suppose, shows this whole progression from them meeting, becoming lovers, to becoming murderers, to becoming, I guess, consumed by their own guilt. Now, some of the themes in the book. A question asked, is there a boundary point or a line that cannot be crossed? And what I mean by this is it seems that even depraved people have moral limits. And this goes to the phrase honor amongst thieves. Now, just a quick little diversion here. Honor amongst thieves, you'll hear that and it sort of seems to indicate that uh, this was an old, very old quote. And basically saying, no matter how sort of depraved you get as a person, there's still a a moral limit which you're not going to cross. And so thieves in general would still have, uh, you know, they're not going to be- betray their fellow thieves or whatever it is. Now, nowadays, it's actually a little bit reversed. And you hear, hear it said, there is no honor amongst thieves, as in saying, if someone's bad, they're bad to the core. They're fully bad, which I don't particularly agree with. But uh, just a quick little side note on that. And I guess in this, in this book, the Emile Zola is trying to explore okay, what happens if you do cross a line that shouldn't be crossed? Now, he does this by uh, using a style which is called naturalistic. And it's actually very similar to two of the books I've previously re- reviewed on, on the Memorials channel of White Fang and The Call of the Wild by Jack London. Whereas he uses, I guess, characters of, of dogs and puts human personalities in them. In this book, we're, we're not subjected to the the moral the inner thoughts of the characters per se it's more things happen to them and they don't have control of it so in the preface to the book Emile Zola actually says I'm I'm looking at the temperaments not the characters as and when he means character he means the inner uh, workings the things that change of a person the things that they decide on which are, are good or bad for them so essentially what he's saying is 
there's there's no room for free will in the pair and they behave essentially as animals. So all of their actions are derived by inner workings which they can't control, their own passion and love for each other. Um, Lawrence laziness and wanting a, a simple and easy life is what basically permits him morally or consciously or in an action form to to actually commit the murder. Um, for for Therese, it's it's to be able to be with her lover, to engage in the carnal uh, pleasures of the flesh, and essentially throughout the whole book, even though the characters are tormented afterwards by the the death of Camille, and so they'll see him in their room, they'll see his dead, decaying body in between them on the bed, and they basically go through a whole period of of just absolute horror and. And an unending horror. It seems to just progress and progress. There aren't joyful moments. There aren't moments of happiness in their life. It's more like there's there's moments where there is a lack of the horror. There is a lack where they're able to distract themselves. Uh, and this happens when they they sort of uh, are engaging with potentially another character, or they're going for long walks by themselves in the yeah uh, along the riverside in in Paris. And you'll see, especially in the night, is when they're sort of forced to be together and they just absolutely grow to hate one another because the other person reminds them of what they've done. And so it's 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 interesting way of looking at it because he basically asks a moral question but looks at it from the point of an animal or like not looking as in, your environment infecting you at all uh, affecting you at all it's more the the inner nature of a person and what happens if you do something which when you transgress a boundary in this case murdering someone what happens and is there a point where you can go back so uh, those two sort of tie in together one of the things that i actually personally came up with and it's not super addressed in the book is uh, living a life not worth living and basically asking, is suicide acceptable? And for me personally, I don't have any moral qualms for someone who's in such a bad state, who is in such a bad place as these two characters appear to be, where suicide is actually a preferable option. It's sort of like moving on to the next life, um, you know, taking yourself out of this physical world as we are now and, and you know, eliminating your consciousness is a better prospect than continuing to live in such pain, in such horror, in such whatever, you know, add your adjective of, of whatever. Now, this needs to be also balanced with the question of how many lives uh, ending in suicide could actually be converted into something productive and meaningful. We see in the book that there's many instances where uh, Kim, um, Laurent and Therese go to the police station they're outside of the doors of it they're sort of egging each other on to confess to the crime or torturing each other with the confession of it while i think actually if they had confessed it probably would have alleviated the burden that they were both under and you know potentially it's not forgivable potentially they would have been put to death but psychologically i think it's from what you can see in the book you'd probably guess that that's a better way of doing it for them. So even though I, I'd say like it's probably acceptable in extreme cases that suicide should be something that that is a moral good, 
it does need to be tempered with the fact that most of the time I, I would believe that people can change their lives around so that they're not in such a bad place where suicide seems like such an appealing option. So some of my own observations from the book as well. The sparse use of characters makes it very, very easy to read. At the moment, I'm reading Crime and Punishment by Dostoevsky. And just the combination of the Russian names with the amount of characters in it just is almost overwhelming. And you're like, oh, God, I I have no idea. And so someone will get introduced and you're like, do I know this person? Do I not know this person? And what I really loved about this book was how simple it was. After five, ten pages, you basically know all the characters in the book. And so, from there, you can, I guess, dive into the story. And there, there wasn't moments where I, you know, was pulled back going, oh, who is this character? How did they relate to the story? No, no, no. It's, it's very simple. So, you can follow it from start to finish. Granted, that might restrict the author a little bit. And this book is a very short book. It's less than 200 pages long. But for me, I, I really enjoyed that that shortness and the the lack of other characters because it allows you to dive deeper into the characters that are actually there. One of the things that comes up is it's quite gloomy, especially for Madame Rakin, and she suffers absolutely tremendously. She's probably one of the the only character in the book who you would say is a, a good person or who at least has the inner inner workings of a good person. Uh, but she is the one who probably close to suffers the most out of all the characters. She has this lo- son who she loves, who's not perfect, but she loves him to his, uh, you know, to her utmost limit. He is he is her pride and joy. He uh, dies in her in her case. Um, she doesn't know that he's murdered, and um, yet she she feels at least like overjoyed or or, or welcomed that. Her daughter-in-law and her new son-in-law, once um, Thaddeus and Lawrence marry each other, that, you know, oh, at least I have these two, you know, almost adopted kids who are looking after me in my old age, who even though I suffered such a tragedy, I I still have this in my life. She eventually becomes incapacitated, suffers a stroke and cannot communicate with anyone but can still understand and hear and it's obvious to the characters with her eye movements that she can uh, understand as well and that's when they inadvertently let loose that they actually murdered her son and so then she's just in this horrible horrible situation where she every day she has to relive um, not only living with her the, the murderers of her cherished child but watch them as they go into excruciating detail and accusing each other of of the crime, of their own consciousness, of their own, um, you know, descent into depravity of of the guilt that is eating them from the inside. And while you'd think this is maybe good for her because she can sort of see it and it's like vengeance, it seems she just suffers and suffers and suffers. So, um, you know, I, I think that's one thing. It's hard to take a a moral or an understanding from that, perhaps the lesson would be try and just be very aware of, of your surroundings. And it, it seemed maybe she was naive to the point where uh, that she fell into such a bad situation that she didn't understand the the characteristics of her own son and of these other people well enough. Maybe she didn't do enough thinking and dive deeper into what they were like as people to realize like, okay, potentially they are, capable of murdering my own son for their own gain. 
I really like the scenery and the just the descriptions of, of Paris because it's a sort of mix of the old Paris, the, the working class, the poor working class, and the new Paris, which was the more modern, the more glass and fashionable buildings and, and companies. So it's, it's really great because you, you know, you sort of nowadays you think of Paris as maybe not so much right now after all the, the riots that were going on there recently. And it seems like they're having a lot of problems with their, um, the migrant crisis that's coming in there um, and of parts of the city being turned into something completely different. But you, you do get a sense of um, that Paris not is, has always been, you know, the Eiffel Tower, the city of love, the fashion, the, the whatever. But the more, the darker underbelly of it, you know, stemming from the revolution, revolutionary days when it was dirty, it was grimy, there was prostitutes everywhere, the, perhaps the, they had some beautiful scenery in the, the rivers and in the surroundings, but in the actual city part, it was a dirty, dark, dangerous place. And I, I think that's expressed quite nicely in the book. For me, the last observation was I felt that their consciousness, conscientiousness, their their guilt was a little bit too abrupt, and there wasn't sufficient, I guess, like preamble or pre-warning or deliberation beforehand. Now, I might just be inter- interpreting the book a little bit wrong because that's not meant to be part of it, and it's more meant to be, I guess, their subconscious that's eating at them. Because they, it's almost like they refuse to take ex- accountability of the actual crime and are trying to just blame the other person so that they feel a little bit better. Uh, as I said, one of the things Emile Zola was really trying to capture was the animalistic baseness of, of the characters in the book. He wasn't looking at their free will, how they think as people. He was looking at them as unthinking, almost unthinking in the sense of, there's no introspection, so they think, but there's no introspection and looking back at themselves. It's always reacting to the environment and the environment not necessarily influencing. In It'll influence their behavior in a certain aspect, but it's more their nature's reacting to what's happening in the environment. So in summary, it's very entertaining and, and quite riveting at points. Like I said, the the simpleness of the plot in the four characters lends itself to being very easy to read. You don't have to question what happened or what was going on because the plot goes in a very linear fashion. It's very, very easy to read. Uh, I enjoyed the descriptions of old Paris as well. So I'm going to, overall, I'm going to give the book a solid 7 out of 10. Teres Rakin, Terese Rakin by Emile Zola. What's something pragmatic I want to take from the book? I should have looked up some of the street views, to be honest. He goes into a lot of detail about the surroundings, the environments, and he names actual locations. So I probably should have looked it up because nowadays we have the technology, we have the resources to be able to look at a Google street view and say, oh, okay, this is what he was sort of imagining. Granted, it's modern times, so it's not going to have the exact same look as it did 150 years ago, but you can still get a feel for what the characters might have been witnessing, especially if they're walking by uh, the River Sienne or whatever it is, and they can see and you can get a sort of feel like, oh, okay, maybe if I was this character walking along this pathway, this is what I would see and this is how I'd be feeling. So uh, that's something I should just take from from this book because there are other books that do the same thing. And yeah, that's it for today. I hope you enjoyed. Any other books you want me to read? Was my interpretations wrong? Am I spouting bullshit? I hope not. 
but potentially. So leave me a re review if you would be so kind to. And that's it. Peace.